So it's worthwhile to ask oneself, why are we practicing? What's our goal? And um, there are many legitimate intentions or goals for practice. Um, one legitimate goal is simply to reduce stress. And if we're, we have addictive impulses also to reduce our cravings for drugs and alcohol and other substances and behaviors. And there are a lot of tools in spiritual practice that help with stress reduction. Um, breath meditation, concentration, meta practice, uh, certain kinds of mindfulness practice are very, very good in reducing stress. Another reason why we can come to practice and our goal for it might be that we find ourselves in a time of life where we're pretty kind, we're pretty alienated from what our life has become, or we feel dissatisfied, and we're looking for a sense of purpose in life, uh, something that will bring meaning and clarity to what we want to attain in this human birth that we're given. And the Buddha has a whole series of recollections, ten recollections, and he has the precept practices, uh, and he has some suttas for householders, and they're all really, really wonderful tools to develop a, a fresh set of priorities for living. And if you're interested in that, I've given a lot of talks on both stress reduction and um, reprioritizing and finding meaning in life. And they're all on the podcasts, and you can all download them for free. Um, tonight, I'm going to talk about what I consider to be possibly the third most uh, common goals of having a spiritual practice, and that is to actually achieve some lasting remove from our normal state of mind, an actual liberation from the consciousness that we're normally in, uh, which can be uh, very constraining and can be have an accumulation of suffering over a lifetime of disappointments or conflicts or struggles or, you know, we just accumulate experience. And our normal way of perceiving life and constructing experience is very much around a maintaining a self with a story about that self, a, an inner autobiography with a set of perspectives, the way we look at the world. And they're kind of mutually reinforcing. We have our story of who we are, and that story influences the way we interact and perceive the world around us. And then that perception creates more stories for our autobiography. And so we can get ourselves trapped in uh, a feedback loop. If we have a story of being a bad person, or someone who's 
been a victim. And all these stories may have some validity to them, but uh, when we start to confine ourselves, limit ourselves to these perspectives and stories, we can't act outside after a while. We can't see the world from any other eyes. We can't perceive experience from a fresh perspective. We, we're sort of stuck. And uh, the goal of practice can be to create um, a new state of consciousness that's liberated from all the ways we've used the mind in the past. Uh, a liberation that allows us to step outside of our perceptual habits, our ingrained fears or suspicions that we bring into every new relationship, the or perhaps the judgmentalism or criticism that we tend to level at ourselves or others. And so I think a very wonderful goal for practice is to bring into our lives a mind state that can attain a completely different uh, perspective. Now, one of the ways that Traditionally, in my lineage of Buddhist practice, people attain a completely fresh perspective, a new way of experiencing life, is through what's known as the progress of insight. And it's a Burmese approach. And I'm not going to go into too much detail about it because I'm not going to be teaching that tonight. There's a lot of value to it. And to summarize it very briefly, it's a set of practices aimed to turn the mind to perceive the constant passing of every experience in life. The dissolution, the ending, the cessation, the falling apart of experience. To perceive all of the constant impermanence that we're experiencing. Now, this is very different from the way the mind normally likes to work. Uh, in our lives, we're constantly showing, people like to show photos of their newborns. Look, this is my new kitten. This is my new child. This is my, my infant, and it's cuddly and beautiful. And nobody will show you, here's a picture of my dying aunt with the, the tubes in the hospital. I go, what the fuck? You know, here's a picture of death at a charnel ground in India. And yet, they're all part of the human experience. We love to jump from one fresh, new, arising thing to another. Everything on capitalism is new, fresh, the latest iPad that bends and around your wrists and does things you don't need it to do. It's amazing. And there's this new, new, new fab, the dishwashing detergent or clothes washing that will, everything's new. We want new. And so, so to become aware of passing and the lack of stability uh, in this, in that practice of progress of insight, it can be very disturbing. In fact, two of the stages are known as fear and trembling. You know, uh, Adinavanupasana and Bayadana, 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 
Bayada Nupasan, I can't remember it. But anyway, uh, there's literally, they acknowledge that there's a real dark night of the soul that happens when you really focus your awareness on noticing just the constant impermanence of every moment and every experience in your life. Uh, in essence, that practice is based on getting to a point of what could be called a radical alienation from all phenomena in your life, seeing everything is not lasting, so that eventually you develop, um, by force, or by a last, by having no alternative, you're basically pushed into developing what's known as equanimity, where you no longer become uh, overly engaged, and it can create almost a nihilistic disregard until we get to the point where we basically return to experience, even though it's all impermanent and passing, and we embrace everything. Because when we realize that everything is impermanent and nothing lasts, then there can be this radical shift of, well, everything's kind of all equal and well. Everything's worthy of embracing. I might as well embrace this moment of suffering because it's going to pass just like this moment of joy is going to pass. Um, it's a, I sometimes paint it in a negative light. It's actually a very, very powerful set of tools and it's taught very well by a number of teachers. Um, I studied though primarily in the Thai forest tradition with monks in that tradition and they emphasized um, what I'll say without hesitation is a uh, somewhat lighter, easier path to achieving uh, a state of mind that's uh, radically different from our normal state of mind. And this path leads to what I would call non-dual awareness. Now, if the, if the Burmese style is about seeing impermanence, the Thai style uh, tends to focus on getting awareness to a point where we stop thinking of experience and follow me with this one because it's going to sound a little bit trippy if I was a teenager and I came in here and heard somebody say what I'm about to say I'd go woo fast out the acid before I came but uh, the idea is to get to a place where we don't perceive experience in terms of self and other or another way of putting it inside and outside. Now what I mean by this is we have a tendency in life to perceive of everything that's going on inside of the body, our body sensations, our feelings, and our thoughts, we tend to take those all personally. Everything that's going on inside of here is mine. And all of you out there, everything that I see that I perceive to be outside of the body, I conceive of as being other. You're other than me. Everything inside of here is me. You following me so far? Is this making sense? Now, on a normal day-to-day -day level of interaction with other human beings, you damn well better perceive the world this way. If you walk up to somebody at work and they say, hey, did you get that 
report them. I don't know. I'm stuck in the 1950s. I have no idea what people actually say to people at work. Hey, did you get that report done, Phyllis? And you say, you're just an appearance in my frame of awareness. You're not other. There's no self or other. That's just a convenient... They'll back away from you slowly. And the, the uh, office cooler talk will be... Uh, will be very awkward. And yet, um, when we spend all of our lives in this, conceiving ourselves as being in here, and stuck inside of a body, and we forget that the mind is creating everything, not just our body, but as the Buddha said in the Dhammapada, the first words he said was, everything we experience is created by the mind. Not just the things I, I um, feel and hear, but everything I see out there is created, authored, filtered by my mind. If you want to go online and look up perceptual neuroscience, there's a shitload of studies about just how little of the outside world we're actually seeing and how much is created by expectation and just by what the mind wants to see. Um, I, I, I told the story of my parents who had a, a tree growing through their house and this gigantic branch over, hung over my parents' house. And nobody saw for six months that the branch was dangerously cracked and it was about to fall on the house because they just never bothered to look. They just saw the branch as being healthy. They weren't re-perceiving it and seeing the actual truth. They were just going by what they expected the branch to look like. There's a study I've been quoting for years. Uh, one of my favorites. It's a video where you watch people bouncing a ball and you're told four people bouncing a basketball, and you're told to count how many times did they bounce this ball. And at the end, you think, oh, well, 23, whatever. And then the question instead is, what did the person in the gorilla outfit do? And at that point, when you play the video back, you see that right in the middle of the bouncing balls, there's, there was somebody walking into the middle of the video with a gorilla outfit who waves. But because we're so busy, caught up in the task that uh, we're supposed to be focused on, we don't see him. Even though he's the most visible part of the video, he's right there up front, waving. So this is the way the mind works. It doesn't really create the world outside by what's actually going on. It creates outside reality by what it expects to be out there. In fact, one neuroscientist says that less than 3% of the visual field is actually what's out there. 97% of what we see is created by memories. And we're just darting around with our eyes looking for new information. Now, this is really more important in terms of moods. I'm sure you've all had days where you wake up and you're in a bad mood. And on those days, if you run into somebody and you, per, you perceive them 
they'll instantaneously turn into an irritating person because you're in a bad mind. But if you don't run into somebody, that bad mood will turn on you and you'll criticize yourself. Ugh, what's the matter with me? Why haven't I done anything with my life? I haven't accomplished anything. Other people are passing me by. I'm not being creative. Then the phone rings. Oh, who the fuck is this? <laughs> what the fuck do you want? <laughs> can't, you, can't you see I'm busy beating myself up? Go away. I don't want to talk to you. Now, where was I? Now, if we don't have any awareness of the fact that the author of all our experiences, the mind, will simply be caught up in, ooh, this is internal, that's external, and we won't see the common denominator between those circumstances, those interactions. The reason why I found the phone call irritating and myself to... Uh, I, I, I aim low self-esteem thoughts at myself is because I'm in a certain mind state. It's only when we can let go of this idea, this rigid idea, that there's an internal and an external and that we can somehow hide our feelings, our emotions or moods from what's out there, that we live in a compartment that's concealed. And we begin to realize that we're living inside of a perceiving machine and the same machine, the same machine that creates sights and sounds is also creating delusional thoughts and fears and suspicions. And if we really believe that those suspicions and fears and delusions are being kept away from our representation of reality, mm -mm. it doesn't work that way the same perceiving area of the brain that sees and creates visuals is the same area that recalls memories and the events of the day. We are in distorting apparatuses. Now more importantly, even than what we've been talking about, that we don't see how the mood of the mind can create suffering, is I think a great point by the Buddha who in a sutta called Sakya's Questions, he's asked, what is the source of all hostility, violence, and rivalry? And he says, that's caused by envy and stinginess, and envy and stinginess is caused by loving and hating. And loving and hating is caused by having a lack of tolerance for some people. And that, in turn, is based on a certain kind of thinking. And what is that certain kind of thinking? That certain kind of thinking stems all the way back to the perception of this is mine and this is not mine. This is who I am and this is not who I am. The Buddha is saying that the tendency to claim certain things is mine and to say other things are not mine creates the illusion that, or creates competition creates envy. It creates a sense that there's something that's vulnerable that needs to be protected. And of course, again, on the day-to-day -day mundane level of experience, fine. We need to have this sense of, this is who I am, these are my responsibilities, these are my skills. But if we want in our practice to attain 
a liberation. The liberation from uh, suspicion, judgmentalism, a, a liberation from envy, from aversion. If we want to liberate ourselves from all that, the strongest and most efficient way is to literally experience non-duality in our actual practice. When we learn to let go of inside and out, some really incredible states tend to arise. We tend to, believe it or not, because the mind stops locating itself inside of a body and starts, we start perceiving ourselves as expanding beyond the body, we don't anymore think of ourselves as limited and small. And we can be actually come less frightened and feel less vulnerable to outside experiences. We also, and this is the oddest experience I've had on retreats, and I don't know that any of you will get to it tonight, but hell, we'll try. But there's actually a completely radically different state of the way we perceive time when we go into non-dual awareness. Because we're not limited to the small body and there's this sense, oh, I've got to, it's, you know, it's eight, when it's 8.30, I've got to move my body to Whole Foods. And then I've got to move my body around Whole Foods. And then I've got to move my body back home. When we have that constant story of I'm this little thing, my awareness is very small, then we're really caught up in time and worrying about time passing. But as uh, the Buddha said in the Udana Sutta, when you get to a place where there's no coming or going, in other words, your, your state of awareness where you consider yourself to be is so vast, then you stop even take caring about time passing. You don't even locate yourself inside of a specific point of time. Now this is all very trippy, I know. Feel free to let go of it. Uh, I'm now going to review the stages that we'll be doing in the meditation to get to this point. The first stage, all we're going to do is we're going to disentangle our inner experience so that generally in life we walk around with a vague sense that there's a lot of sensations going on inside of the body, there's feelings, there's emotions happening, and there's thoughts. And so the first thing we need to do, because this entanglement keeps the mind very small and very attached to the, the idea of inside and out, is we're just going to calm the inner experience by focusing on one thing at a time. We'll start with the breath, and we'll relax the breath, and then we'll find feelings in the body, and we'll relax them. Now, the next stage, what we're going to do is we're going to focus awareness on the kind of mind or mood that you're in that's noticing or that's in the practice. Sometimes when we're in meditation, we'll be jumpy. We'll be distracted. We'll be thinking about something else, ruminating about other shit we got going on. Or we might find ourselves aversive. Oh, I don't like this meditation. Why can't he just do the normal thing where we do the thing and then he gives the weird psychology talk and then I ask a question and then we're out of here. What, what is this? I don't like this thing. It's different. 
and it sounds kind of hippie-ish and <laughs> not what I want to be doing right now. But sometimes we might be really eager. Yes, yes, when's enlightenment going to come? Give me the enlightenment. It must be right around the corner, right? This is the moment? So that might be the mood of the mind. So the third state, or the next state is uh, finally, uh, before the last state, is we're going to bring in awareness of external sensations, sounds, contact sensations, any feeling of uh, wind moving. And these are going to be very, very important because these external sensations are what you're going to use in the final stage to expand the sense of self beyond the boundaries of the body. It's here. All right, so the goal, once again, is to get to a place where we can let go of this tendency to think and file away everything is inside and out. As Ayakema, the great nun, said, the goal is to abide in a state where we have no place to go, nothing to do, and no one to become. And this is, in my experience, the fastest process to get to that place. So if you're ready, come to a very, very calm, spaciously, or I should say, uh, comfortable seat. We'll work on developing the spacious mind in the meditation. So, just taking a moment to note that you're safe, that everybody is here for the same purpose, to achieve some uh, peace of mind, that you can let down your guard. When we carry a guard, uh, a defensiveness in the body, a feeling of needing to protect ourselves, that really embeds the sense of inside and out of something that we need to uh, protect. So just take a moment and first relieve, let go, set an intention just to remind yourself that you are safe here. There's no one that means you any harm. And just see if you can find those areas of the body that tend to carry a lot of armoring. Now, in my experience, that could be the shoulders. We might need to lift them up and release them. There might be some armoring also in the facial muscles, that tendency to carry a kind of mass throughout the day that's kind of uh, indifferent or hard or so if there's a softer more vulnerable face available uh, facial expression see if you can use that armoring can also be felt in the chest a sense of tightness there or in the belly a contraction of those muscles so take a nice breath and release. 
And then if there's any tightness in the limbs, especially the arms or the hands, see if you can lift up the shoulders again and then release them one more time and just allow the arms to become lifeless. And release the hands from any tendency to go into a very uh, taut mudra. Just keep a very soft, relaxed arm. So let's bring our awareness to the breath. And we're just going to start by disentangling awareness from all the different objects that can grab onto us. And so right now, if there's any thoughts or mental images or contact sensations that arise, just allow them to be in the background, like the background of a stage. And keep your awareness on just the feeling of the breath anywhere you want in the body. And if you don't like working with the breath, no worries. Just find an area of the body, perhaps the palms or the eyes, any area of the body, and just reside in it and just note the constant stream of sensation. If you find it difficult to stay with the breath, you can try counting each exhalation from 1 to 10, and then back down from 9 to 1, and then from 1 to 8, from 7, back down to 1. And when the mind jumps away, which will occur, no matter, just bring awareness back without any sense of frustration. In fact, if there's any mood to cultivate, cultivate one of appreciation for your effort.
try to make the breath as comfortable as you can. You just ask that question, what kind of breathing would feel really good right now? And then you might also begin to add into awareness a noting of what's called feelings, gut feelings, intuitions. Basically, the emotional mind speaks to us by contracting areas of the body to let us know when it likes or dislikes a present experience. When you're with somebody you like, you feel an easing of the body. When you're around someone that you find complicated or threatening, you'll feel the muscles of the body contract. So throughout life, there are these underlying, largely unconscious messages being set, sent from the midbrain, the unconscious brain, to the body, pushing us to different states of awareness. And just know, right now, how to, I think the body is telling me it feels about this moment. Is the body relaxing into the practice, or is it stiffening? Is the mind relaxing, or is the mind staying jumpy? What's the emotional experience right now? If you notice that the mind feels jumpy or distracted, or the body is becoming tense, the emotional states are aversive or negative, just begin to use the breath in a way to calm and relax, stretching out the out-breath as long as possible. If you feel the mind is growing tired, sleepy, just open up the eyes, look at something motionless, or hold the in-breath as long as you can before releasing it.
know if there's anything keeping from the, the, the internal experience from being relaxed and easeful. Any story you're adding or any lack of trust or attention or something that is keeping you from fully arriving into the present moment in your experience with a sense of ease and relief. Just let that go for a little while. Put it aside. Promise whatever tendency, whatever suspicion you have, whatever whatever it is that you're holding on to that won't allow you to be fully relaxed right now. Just see if you can put that aside for a little while. Just see if you can relax into the body, into the present moment, without wanting anything to be different. So at this point, I'd like you to, while holding on to awareness of breath and body, feelings and awareness of the mind itself, whether it's distracted or present, I'd like you to add in first awareness of all the sounds surrounding us right now. See if you can hear the leftmost sound, maybe from the street or the fan. Then sliding awareness all the way across to the right and hearing the rightmost sound in the mind, or available to the mind. And then create. full landscape of sound, much like a visual landscape might be of trees or buildings. This is a landscape of auditory events stretching from the farthest left to the right. So for our first go at relieving the mind's tendency to perceive everything in terms of self and other, I'd like you to 
begin to explore seeing if you can remove the sense of where the head or the skull or the you is in this landscape and just perceive the landscape is flowing entirely smoothly from left to right all the sounds are occurring in your awareness <clears throat> but there's no body there are sensations that you feel that might be in the body but no sense of the body being separate from the world around you one way you can do this is by asking yourself what would it feel like to if you breathe in through the eyes and then soften around the eyes softening every muscle in the head until there was a sense of the head disappearing as it were or not being perceived Be aware of the eyes blinking, the forehead or the eyebrows twitching. And that's okay. We're not removing those. We're just removing any sensations that delineate the, out, the outer edge of the body. So let everything else be a part of the perception. Just see if you can remove the sense of inside and out and just perceive everything in this landscape of sounds and sensations. the feeling of the head persists, just ask yourself what it would feel like if the boundaries expanded so you felt the head growing larger and larger and larger and all the entire width of sound and every sensation occurring fit inside of awareness until the sense of inside and out meant nothing.
So wherever you are, whether you've managed to experience something interesting or you still feel very aligned to the inside-outside perception, no matter, just the practice is good. I'd like you to now bring your awareness down to the contact sensations that you're making with the ground. The feeling of one's butt or legs contacting the floor. And for this practice, we're just going to practice blurring the sense of where the body ends and the floor begins. See if you can begin to soften that added sense of this is inside of me and that is outside. One way we can do this is asking ourselves what it would feel like if during the out-breath the energy traveled all the way down the body into the floor that we're making contact with. And then with the in-breath, the energy grows up from the floor back into the body. Ask yourself and try to be creative. How would that feel if literally the breath energy began in the floor moved up into the body, and the energy flowed up all the way to the head, and then this releasing gentle energy flowed back down the body, and returned all the way down the spine, through the legs, to the floor beneath. It was this continuous circular connection between body and floor. last few minutes of the meditation to see if you can, with your mind and with the breath energy, begin to explore releasing the mental image we have of the body and the felt created sensations of the outermost skin of the body, just releasing them from one's perce perception and just feel awareness as this expansive, limitless consciousness that's not located anywhere but in fact is holding everything 
that you perceive right now. No outside, no inside, no self, no other. So no matter where you are in the meditation, this is just an exploration of this practice, and you can continue it if you like, but just return to the sense of being in a body, feeling the sensations that create the outline, the limbs, the sense of clothes. And as we return to the perception of inside and out, it's a good time to remind ourselves that the ultimate balance when we're in the rest of our lives is to maintain awareness of what's going on internally and externally. Knowing the breath and the body, knowing what's being communicated to us knowing the emotions of others. Taking a moment to develop thoughts of gratitude for your effort and your practice. 
you're doing something that very few people do, and yet you're developing a source of inner peace and tranquility that's blameless, unconditionally available, causes no harm. And when you hear the bowl, you can open your eyes. <laughs>